If you would find your pew Bibles in front of you, in front of you and open them up with me to Matthew chapter 1. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,496. To those who are uh, visiting with us this morning through this Advent season, we've been looking at the mothers of Christ mentioned in Matthew 1, uh, in Matthew's genealogy of Christ. So far we've looked at um, Tamar and her connection with Ruth. We've looked at uh, Rahab and her connection with Ruth. Then we looked at Bathsheba. And then finally, uh, this Christmas day, we're looking at uh, Mary. So let's read Matthew chapter 1 together. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihu, Abihu the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliu, Eliu the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. It's important that we notice the women that mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, because the key is into the reality uh, that God has used imperfect and sinful people to bring about his perfect and sinless son to die on the cross for our sins. Um, Mary is, of course, included in that list. So today we're going to be looking at the portion of, of the Luke narrative, the infant narrative in Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 56, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,588. 1,588. Starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. <coughs> Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. In faith, Mary praises The promised one. In faith, Mary praises the promised one. In our scripture passage this morning, we're going to look at two things. The grace of God given to Mary when the angel Gabriel visited her and told her that she was favored by God. And secondly, the praise to God given. That is that Mary believed what God had spoken to her and in response Uh, She praised in her song the wondrous works of Almighty God. So let's look at that together this morning. But first I want to quote a wonderful phrase by church father in days of old, St. Ephraim of Syria. On one of his Christmas Day services long ago said these words, The babe that I carry carries me saith Mary. And he has lowered his wings and taken and placed me between his pinions and mounted into the air. And a promise has been given me that height and depth shall be my sons. It is, a, it is my purpose this morning to show you uh, that Mary has faith in this promised one that she bears. So let's look first at the grace of God 
It's given to Mary. In verse 26, we're told in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee. Now, Luke wants us, as the readers of his gospel, like Theophilus, to compare the birth narrative of John the Baptist to the birth narrative of Christ, our Savior. And the purpose of this is simple. He wants us to see that John the Baptist, in his foretelling prophet role, is already functioning in his birth narrative to proclaim the greatness, the better than, the not even worthy to tie my sandals of Jesus, the Messiah. And we see that. We see that in the comparison of Gabriel's visitation to Zechariah, which occurs in the temple as Zechariah is performing his duty and the birth narrative of Mary. Zechariah expresses a kind of unbelief, a doubt. Mary, we see here, is exemplified to us as the obedient, faithful servant. Zechariah has been praying for many years that him and Elizabeth would have a child. Mary has not asked for what has been given to her. It's unmerited. Not only that, but her birth is miraculous, <coughs> unlike any that has occurred before. So you see the comparison that's meant to be had here. Continuing on in the passage, we're told that Gabriel went to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That phrase, descendant of David, keys us into the reality that Jesus is that promised king that is to come, the line of David, the Messiah, and he has that relation by his father, Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. One commentator said that there could be no more an obscure, an unlikely person than would be Mary, a young woman. Possibly, some people say, as young as 12 and 13, which would have been the typical age of a trothel in the time. Who's from a nowhere town who receives this wonderful news of the grace that God has bestowed upon her. In verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The word there, highly favored, is related to the Greek word for grace, charis, or charis, as my wife is called after that. Um, and it's meant to explain to us that Mary's highly favoredness is not because of anything inherent in her, but it's because God has chosen to grant her grace, to bestow upon her grace. It's unmerited, this highly favoredness. That Mary is receiving. <coughs> of course. This humble servant is greatly troubled by these words that Gabriel says to her. And of course. As is typical in these narratives. The angel encourages her to not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Same word there. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And here Gabriel proclaims. Who this child is. He has the name Jesus. Meaning God saves. Yeshua. Which is related to the name Joshua in the Old Testament. Yahweh saves. He will be great. When Gabriel says great. 
We are meant to think back to Zechariah and the fact that Zechariah was told that John would be great, but it had a qualifier. Here, Gabriel says Jesus is going to be great, no qualification. Whenever this is used in the Old Testament, it's to describe God. So Mary is beginning to be keyed into the reality that this child of hers that she's going to have is great, as God is great. He is to be a savior. Yahweh saves Jesus' name. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, as a young student of the Old Testament scriptures, who knew the story of God, would begin to realize that this is the promised Messiah. The one that was to come to usher in the kingdom of David as no other has done. As all that we have seen have failed in the past. King David could not bring it in. King Solomon could not bring it in. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, he is to usher in that wonderful kingdom. But Mary asks a simple question. Verse 34. How will this be? This differs from Zechariah's question, which came from unbelief, he said, how will I know this? Zechariah was asking for a sign, like Gideon, for a sign. And because of that, he was struck and not able to speak. But Mary asks, how will this be since I have not been with a man? That's what the Greek says there. She's betrothed to Joseph. In this time, the custom would be a betrothal that would take about a year. And this, in that period, you were basically promised to one another and not to partake in any sexual acts with any others. You remained faithful to that person. In fact, breaking that would be uh, as bad as getting a divorce, as we key into in Matthew's narrative uh, that Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. But she had not come into Joseph's house Yes, yeah, so she asked a simple question. How can I be with child if I am still virgin? The angel gives a profound answer. He says to her that her birth will be unlike any that has ever occurred in all human history. And one that is unique and shall never happen again. This conception is by the working of the Holy Spirit. It will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When we read these words, we should hear the echoes of the Old Testament. In fact... What we read here is so significant because no man has been created by the divine act and intervention of God since Adam. It's all happened naturally. But here we see what we see really is a new creation. When we hear those words of the Holy Spirit Power the Most High 
It's another word used for the Holy Spirit. Will overshadow you. We should think of the creation narrative in Genesis. Where we're told that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the deep. And key in to the reality that the Holy Spirit is involved in every creative act of God. And there is no more creative act of God than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because he needed to be of Mary so that he would be of our flesh. But he needed to be of God so that he could be divine and bear in his body the wrath of God for our sins. As the Heidelberg Catechism tells us. This is a new creation that is happening here. This is a new creation of a new humanity. Of which Christ is the first fruits. And it's marvelous. It's wonderful. And although Mary had faith, and she simply asked, how will this be? She wasn't asking for a sign as Zechariah had. She's given a sign. Anyways, Gabriel tells her, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. (coughs) She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary is receiving the grace of God. In fact, that she's going to play this unique role of being the mother of God. The mother of the incarnate son of God. It's unlike anything that we will ever personally experience in one way. But in another sense, the unmerited favor that we have been granted in being united with Christ is the very same as Mary experiences here. She in herself is not deserving to bear her Savior. The one that she carries, carries her. Yet she is given that grace. And how does she respond to that grace? She says... I am the Lord's servant. The word there, servant, is doulos. It's translated in the New Testament as slave. She says, I am the Lord's maidservant. Humble, obedient. May it be to me as you have said. Her world is going to be turned upside down by this event. She will suffer hardship. Because she is the mother of Jesus Christ. She will watch her son die upon a cross. For sins he did not commit. For the sake of sins that we have committed. Yet she believes. That in faith. Because of the grace God had given her. She believes. And she obeys. Yet we see. That she's excited to hear this news of Elizabeth. It's the sign that was given to her that what God had promised to her would truly come about. So she rushes, she hurries to a town in the hill country of Judea. Far from where she was at in Nazareth. Where she greets Elizabeth. And then Elizabeth, on hearing Mary's greeting, John the Baptist leaped in her womb. That we're told Zacharias says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from conception on. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. This phrase, the baby leaped in her womb, will be repeated. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's a prophetic phrase. It speaks of the coming kingdom of the Messiah that would be so joyous, so wonderful, so without sin, so without pain and suffering that people would leap for joy, that the lame would leap for joy. And here in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist already begins to point to Christ already begins to say, He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And this beautiful meeting of John and Jesus. She says, Elizabeth to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Well, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth was the first one to prophesy that Christ, who is in Mary's womb, is Lord. In a very same and real way that David says in Psalm 110, My Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 44, as, sound, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist would later say, my joy is complete in knowing that the groom has come. And blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You see that Elizabeth knows that the blessing that Mary has, that she is blessed among woman, women, that she is blessed as the child she bears, is because she has believed what the Lord has said to her, that it will be accomplished. And Mary, in seeing this sign, that God truly had made one who was barren be with child as Elizabeth, once again clings to the promises of God the words of God which Gabriel spoke to her and bursts out into praise. So we've looked at the grace of God given, but the praise to God given in response to that grace is amazing. Some people have said, Mary couldn't have written this. It's almost as if Luke went back and wrote some wonderful hymns that sound like what Mary would say and then inserted them into this narrative. I don't think we have to believe that. But I do believe these songs serve a purpose, a particular role in the narrative. It's like an aria. It's like an aria. Because it makes us pause and stop. And it makes us say, hey, I'm not really actually outside of this story simply reading it and absorbing it, I am part of this story. And it makes us say, if Mary lifts her voice to magnify the Lord because of what God has done in bringing the Messiah into this world, the incarnate Son of God, then maybe I should praise Him too. 
And Mary's song is filled with praises of the works of God. Her song reaches into the past and into the present and even into the future. It covers with language from the Old Testament all the redemptive works of God. It's almost as if Mary is saying, what God is doing in my womb right now is a new exodus. Just like my people Israel were saved out of slavery in Egypt, God is doing so again. God is doing so again in my womb. He's bringing about a new exodus. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. There's a personal element to the song. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But here, Mary is almost functioning as a representative for us. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. You see, Mary's song, in a very real sense, is praising the promised one. Now it's interesting, if we read her song, nothing is said directly about Jesus Christ. Nothing is said directly about the Savior. But she says this God is her Savior. But more so, it's what this psalm is saying. The song of Mary. It's saying that what Jesus has come to do, that what God is going to do in Jesus, is he's going to flip the tables. So many of us know the end of the story. We've read it. We know that Christ isn't the king Messiah, the Davidic king that Israel thought he would be. That he would be a political king. That he would make Israel great again. That he would come to kick out the Roman oppressors. But the way Luke writes it is that we come to realize that little by little. Piece by piece. But this Messiah, he represents the humble. This Messiah heeds with sinners. This Messiah, he heals the lame, causes the blind to see. He notices the poor in spirit, the meek, the lowly, those who are crushed under the weight of their life. And their sin. He has come to represent those who know the weight of their sin and know that they need a Savior. But to those who are high and mighty, to those who think they've got it all together, to those who think they don't need a Savior, and Christ does this. Christ's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is an expression of Mary's song. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And how did Christ do this? Christ did this because he showed in his humble beginnings that even now as he is in the womb of Mary his humiliation has begun. Lo, he does not abhor the virgin's womb. That in his birth when he would be born in a stable in a nowhere town outside of Jerusalem. He would have the representatives of what his kingdom means. The shepherds, the lowly, the dirty, the smelly. The three wise men who bring king's gifts. Christ showed in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection... But to humble oneself before God is to be exalted. The book of James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Christ's exaltation was found in his cross. The coming of the Messiah found the king upon the cross. Mary's song proclaims this news and she says, without doubt, in the joy of the grace that she's been given, that Christ came for Israel and for all nations to keep the promises of Abraham and David that God had made. Amen. Lord, we love you for this time. We can look at your word and the coming of the Messiah. We praise you that we may have the faith that Mary had and believing your word and trusting that nothing is impossible with you, Father. And that we may have the joy that John the Baptist had and leap for the coming of the Messiah. And that we may give praise as Mary did for the God who has redeemed us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.